This is the podcast for RUF at App State. Everyone is welcome and no one is unexpected. For more information, visit us at appstate.ruf.org. Minister here at App with RUF. What is RUF? What are we doing in this room? Why are we facing the same direction and singing with the lights dimmed? Why are we listening to a guy who clearly isn't a student here talk about the Bible? RUF is a ministry to App State, which means we're here to serve App State. We exist because we believe God cares about App State. He desires his kingdom, his rule of kindness and mercy to spring up here at App and in the lives of students. That's why we're here. And so whether you get involved with RUF or not, our, our hope for you is that you would come to see the truth, which is to know that you belong rightfully to God and that he invites you to know him and to find freedom and life as part of his kingdom that rule and kindness through the person and work of Jesus. And the way we know that, I believe, is through his word to us in the Bible. And so I'm not up here tonight trying to be original. I don't know why you would want to know my thoughts purely by themselves. My goal is to say what the Bible says, because my assumption is that God has given it to us as authoritative and fully trustworthy. But I don't assume that all or many or even most of you in this room share that assumption. So if you don't share that assumption and you don't believe the Bible is the word of God, I'm so glad you're here. My invitation to you would be to give it an open hearing, to consider what it says. And this semester we're going to be giving an open hearing to the book of the Bible called Galatians, which is written 2,000 years ago by a guy named Paul. And he's writing to these people in this ancient region known as Galatia, He's writing to them to call them back to believing the gospel, the one true story of the world and of everyone and everything in it, the story of who Jesus is and what he's done. So let's read together Galatians 1, 1 through 10, and I'll pray before we begin. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that it comes to us, as Luke said, right where we are, in our pain, in our confusion, 
and that you have come to give us life and fullness and to set us free. And so we pray now that we would hear the truth and that it would truly make us free. In your name, amen. So from age 10 to 15, the story I lived in involved me eventually becoming a famous musician. And like many of the greats, whether that's Biggie Smalls or John Lennon or Justin Bieber, I knew that I was poised, no, destined for greatness. <laughs> These dreams, though, came crashing down. They were lit on fire like toilet paper soaked in gasoline when I turned 15 because my band tried out for our school's talent show. And the school I went to was basically a, you know, everyone gets a participation award kind of school, and this is that kind of talent show. But we still were the first act ever to get cut from the talent show. <laughs> and they told us that we were cut for time. But we said, cut for time? Then why were you laughing the whole time we were performing, Greg? I don't know who Greg is. But at that moment, my visions of touring the country, my visions of an excessively self-indulgent autobiography that I write soon after those tours, they came crashing down. And the story I was living in no longer had the end of being a future rock god. And I was left asking a lot of questions like, what do I do with my life now? Because the story I was living in was a lie, Greg. What story are you living in? What kind of story is it? Where is it headed? What role do you play in it? I mean, these are some of the most important questions that we can ask because I would say, obviously, we are story-making beings. The way we make sense of the world and of ourselves is through stories. When you want to get to know someone, you ask them for their story. What you value, what you love, what you think is right and what is wrong, all of this is tied to what story you believe that you're living in. And so what story are you living in? And on the one hand, each of our stories are distinct. You have your own experiences, your own family, your own pain. But is there a bigger story that encompasses all of our stories? Or are we left to just making up our own stories as we go? And this is where Galatians hits us with a massive claim. And it tells us there is one big story that makes sense and provides hope and meaning for every single person and every single thing, the whole world. And this one big story is the gospel. This is what Galatians is telling us, is that the gospel is the one true story. And the gospel is the good news, it's the story of Jesus and what he has done. This story, Jesus' story, is the story that takes all of our stories and it puts them in the right place. And what I want to do is I want to explore that claim and invite you to consider it by asking three questions. What is this story? Why do we get it wrong? And how do we live in it? What is the story? Why do we get it wrong? And how do we live in it? So first, what is the story? And Paul makes clear right at the beginning of his letter, and you can look there at verse 1. He makes clear that he has been sent by God with a message from God. In verse 1, he calls himself an apostle, which means one sent out. He has been sent 
And so called not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And here we have already the basics of the gospel. It starts with, it ends with, and it's all about God. But which God? This is the God who exists in himself, contained in himself as one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Paul says in verse 5 that all glory and honor belong to him. And so the story starts with acknowledging that God, as the author of all things, he doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't need anything from us. And in fact, what he owes us is the swift and just judgment of a king dealt out against rebels who have turned away from his rule. And yet, the message of the story is given to us in verse 3. The message of God to rebels is grace and peace. The heart of the story is that by God's will, because God wanted to, he sent Jesus to die in the place of rebels. He sent Jesus, who is the Son of God and is God himself, to die in our place and said that we would be rescued, he says, delivered from this present evil age. He came to die the death we deserve so that we would be rescued from powers and want our stories to be defined as tragedies in the end. What is this one story? It's the story of Jesus being raised from the dead so that all of our stories are transformed by his victory into romances, adventures. What's this story? It's the story of God's love for a rebel world and rebel children that invites us into the heart of a story, even though we aren't at the center of the story, so that we might know him and serve him, and that by knowing and serving him, we would find freedom in life. This is a totally unexpected story, radically different than what we would expect. Why is it so different? Years ago, I was living in St. Louis and helping out with a youth group there. This was a youth group filled with kids who had never been familiar with the Bible. They didn't know any stories from the Bible, which meant talking to them about the Bible was really fun. One of my friends was, was leading this group of kids through the story given in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus tells about a sheep, one sheep out of a hundred that wanders away from the herd. And these kids had never heard it before. And so they walked through it, and, they and my friend was talking to the kids about, okay, this sheep goes away. What do you think the shepherd is going to do when it finds that one sheep that wandered away? And one of the kids yelled, beat that sheep. <laughs> and the other kids joined in, and they were like, yeah, messing with my place of business? You're going to mess with my place of business, sheep, you're going to get got. And they were entirely serious. So when my friend, when she explained to them what happens in the story, that when the shepherd finds the sheep, he puts it on his shoulders gently, he carries it home, and then he throws a party for the sheep. They were absolutely shocked. And when my friend explained the point that Jesus tells the story to show what God is like, and to say this is what God does for us, that he, he pursues rebels in love, they initially refused to believe her. The story of the gospel is so unexpected it's, it's radically unlike any other. I mean, compare it to, to other stories that seek to explain us and the world around us. I mean, compare it to the story of karma in some other religions. 
which is basically a principle of cause and effect. If you live poorly, then the consequences of living poorly will follow you into the afterlife. The gospel tells the story where if you live poorly, the God who doesn't owe you anything pursues you in love to give you the exact opposite consequences, forever life in him. We compare this story to the story of materialism, where all we are and all that is is matter in motion. So that in this story, all your fears and all your desires and all your pain, it really doesn't mean anything in the end. The gospel surprises us with meaning that far exceeds your wildest expectations. Because it says the God who made all matter cares about your life. He cares about your experiences, your pain, and your story. This is a very, very different story. But compare it also to the story that you often act like you're living in. Maybe you act like you're living in a story where you are specifically cursed, so that when bad things happen to you, you assume it's because you're such a failure, you're such a mess up. And if you really were, did better, then these bad things wouldn't happen. Or maybe you're living in a story where you, you feel like, if I could just switch places with anyone else, I'm really, I got put in the wrong role. If you could just take me out of my skin and put me somewhere else, then, then I would have purpose and meaning. The gospel tells the story of a God who looks at your pain with compassion and moves toward you. It tells the story of a God who made you with your role, with your part, intentionally in love. This is a very different story. And so let's look at the second question. I mean, this is one big story of God rescuing us and this whole world out of love. But what is, why do we get the story wrong? Why do we get this story wrong? We have a tendency to live in or, or hopelessly try to live in the wrong story or a false story. So Paul tells the Galatians in verse 7 that there isn't another gospel. There is one true story of the world, one story that provides purpose and meaning and hope for everyone. And so in verse 6 he says that he is astonished that they are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, who is Jesus, and are turning to a different gospel. They only recently believed the gospel, the big story that Paul has told them, and they're already abandoning it. They're already forgetting it and turning to another story. But he warns them in verse 8, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. In other words, don't be misled by anyone. Not even by me, Paul. If someone tries to sell you a story that's trying to show you who you are and what your life is all about. There's one story that shows you this. I mean, Paul, he's, he's speaking in extreme language. He says, let them be accursed. But he's using that extreme language because he has to. Because we, like the Galatians, are so quick to get the story so, so wrong. And why is that the case? I'd say the whole Bible gives us two big reasons that we are so quick to get the story so wrong. First, because we are quick to turn away from the author. This is the essence of sin. Turning away from the author and assuming that we can be the author of our own stories. But also because we find this story so difficult to swallow. Recently a friend texted me that he had an extra ticket to the upcoming Luke Combs show at Kid Brewer. And he asked me if I wanted to go with him. And I said, yes, Avi, how much do I owe you? And he said, nada, nothing. And I respond to him in all caps, nah, I'm not going to take that ticket for free. How much do I owe you? 
There is no such thing as a free lunch. I almost felt like it's a trick. What's he trying to do? There is no Luke Combs show. I should have known. Why is it so difficult for me to, to receive the generosity of a freely offered ticket? Why is it so difficult for me? One, it, it ran up against my pride. I need to pay for my ticket to show them I can pay for it. I'm 33 years old. You know? I'm an adult. But also, I didn't want to take this ticket because it was hard for me to swallow his generosity. He doesn't really want to give me this ticket just because he wants me to go to the concert with him. He's kind of want the money, right? If it's hard for me to accept the free generosity of a concert ticket, how much more difficult is it for my soul to accept the story that tells me that every ultimate good thing, freedom, future, forgiveness, is given to me against the grain of what I deserve? How difficult is that for me and for you? We get the story wrong because it punctures our pride and it battles our shame. There's a sickness in my heart. And there's a sickness in your heart. And because of this sickness, we live in a false story where we have to be the hero. Or we have to justify the value of our part. And that's why you spend your life, and I spend my life, striving to impress and exhausting myself to achieve. This is a sickness that makes me live in a false story where my failures are the defining events. So I obsess over the mistakes I've made or the opportunities I've let pass, and I often feel like I, you know, I ruined my chance at a truly great story. It makes us feel like we have to be great or else we're bound to misery, or every little thing matters so much or nothing matters at all. And in the end, this is a sickness that makes us feel like we can be and have to be the authors of our story to construct our way, to weave our own narrative. And then we think to ourselves, this will really make me free. The gospel confronts us with the bare truth. Until you live your story in God's story, you will never be free. Why do we get the story so wrong? We find it difficult to swallow that God could be this good. There's the third thing. How do we live in the story? But here's at least a step for all of us. How do we live in the story? Question the stories that you are told. Question the ones that are sold to you. When you are told you must do something, you must do it, or when you're advertised a product, or when you want something so badly that you feel like, I, I just have to have it, ask, what story am I being told? What story am I telling myself? What am I being sold and what am I selling to myself. Paul, at least, is honest that he's telling you a story, but he isn't telling you a story because he thinks you want to hear it. But he says in verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul is not trying to sell us anything. He's not trying to tickle your ears. It's a weird phrase. He's telling you this story that in many ways you don't want to hear because it's the one true story. This is what this book is inviting us to, to live our story in this big story. And how? By turning back to the author, submitting your story to God, the author, for his use. And so he can put your story in right perspective. 
to see your experiences, your desires, your pain in light of the grand and glorious narrative that he is telling. When we do that, we will be free because we'll be living in the story told by a God who made you for freedom. My son, Robert, he's developed the unfortunate habit of ripping pages out of books or ripping pieces of pages out of books. And I think it's because he really loves books. So when he gets to the part of Peter Rabbit that he loves so much, it's like he's so passionate he can't stand it. He's like, I love this book. And he has to rip a page out. <laughs> so when I go into his room, often I'll just find these really sad pieces <laughs> of books we just bought or family bought them strewn around the room. And when I pick them up, they look so lost and jagged, and fractured, and out of place. But if you could find the story that they belong in, and you could put them in that right place, they'd still be jagged, but you would see what they're meant for. You would see them in light of the whole picture. You would see them in light of the beautiful story that they're a part of. This is what the gospel does. It doesn't tell you, hey, unjagged yourself. Fix yourself. Make yourself whole. It invites you to place your story, jagged as it is, in light of the beautiful story that God is telling that he invites you into. What does this mean? It means recognizing first that you are not the author of your own story. Yes, you have responsibility and agency, but you are not the author of your story. And this is really, really freeing news because it means you don't have to figure out the purpose or direction of your life in the end. And you don't have to figure out what life is all about. You have to place your story in God's story. And what this means is that you get to recognize that you don't have to be the hero of your story. You don't have to justify the value of your part. Your hero has been sent and God has written your part into his story in love. Receive the freedom of being a part of a story where the end is so, so beautiful. All things made new, including you, including me. How would you, what would change if you knew the ending of, of your story? I mean, what I think makes it so difficult for us to, to walk up to a new friend and to pursue them or to ask someone out is because we don't know what the ending is. If you knew that the end was welcome or a yes, you would approach that relationship with total freedom. The gospel tells you the big ending in advance. It's a welcome into God's family. It's a forever yes. Receive this good news and live with freedom. Let me pray. Well, I thank you uh, so much that we can come to you as the author of our stories, that you take our stories seriously, our stories matter to you, uh, but that we will not see our stories rightly until we see them as a part of the big story you are telling. So we ask that you would humble us so that we would then find great joy knowing how much we matter to you, how much you have done, the lengths you have gone to to call us home. Thank you for Jesus coming as the hero of our stories, coming as the one who weaves our story into yours. And we ask this in his name. Amen.